KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. Hi, I'm Jen Soska. And I'm Sylvia Soska. And, and we're, we're the, the Twisted Twins. When Jen and Sylvia Soska were little girls, they weren't playing with Barbies. They were playing with spiders or huddled in the horror section of their video store. We would go around looking at the back of boxes for the bloodiest things with the goriest messes, and we'd be like, oh, this is a good one, and we'd beg our mom and never, never, never let us watch one until Poltergeist. They're here. And they are the Soska sisters, and they're here once again to celebrate Women in Horror Month with me on Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando, and I can't think of better representatives for Women in Horror Month than the Canadian twisted twins, Jen and Sylvia Soska. That film Poltergeist changed Sylvia's life. It terrified her, but her mother calmed her fears by explaining the art of special effects. She told me everything I saw was systematically made by very talented artists with the intention of scaring me. And I was like, wait a minute, these people's job is scaring people? That's the job the Soskas wanted, and they now have it. Those twisted twins burst on the horror scene in 2009 with the grindhouse film Dead Hooker in a Trunk. The name alone got them banned from a film festival. There is a dead body in the trunk with drugs. You have to call the police right now. It's not like you guys had anything to do with it, right? Last night is really fuzzy. Then they moved up in production values to make the very personal and perversely brilliant American Mary that looked to the world of body modification. I have the benefit of being connected to myself and my sister, but I know that connection may or may not last beyond this existence. Do you never want to lose that connection, Mary? Maybe we'll die together in faith for others to come together. Maybe not. But should anything ever happen to one of us before the other, we want to lose that connection. We want you to take off our left arms and exchange them with one another. That shouldn't be a problem. And more recently, they found success with a horror TV game show called Elevator and working for the WWE Studios. And last year, they added a remake of David Cronenberg's cult favorite rabbit to their resume. When insane, he bit me. An outbreak of rabies. Avoid all animals and humans exhibiting violent or erratic behavior. It spreads like an STD. If you do not stop it, it could affect all of mankind. The film played the horror festival circuit late last year with a limited theatrical release in December. Now it's available streaming. I need to take a short break, and then I'll be back with my interview with Jen and Sylvia Soska, the Twisted Twins. Before we do that kind of talking, we need to fuel ourselves with energy drinks. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.
All right. Well, finally get to talk to you about Rabid. Oh, my gosh. It's so surreal to be remaking uh, Cronenberg's first remake of all of them. I mean, no pressure, right? (laughs) (laughs) So how did this project come your way? You know, the funny thing is, it was a blind email. Like, it was about three sentences long, and our producers uh, sent us an email that said, would you by any chance be interested in remaking David Cronenberg's Rabid? We have the rights. And before asking anyone, I just obviously said yes. And then my rep said, this couldn't possibly be a real offer. And I'm like, ah, it's a Cronenberg offer, so let's let's field it. And we had this meeting the next day, and um, there was an original script that they had given to uh, David with uh, hopes that he would produce it. And he read the script, and he said, uh, you don't really know anything of my work. This is rabbit and title alone. So they went back, and they Googled Cronenberg, and our names came up because he was one of the greatest influences. <laughs> and they retold this story during our Skype meeting, and we said two things. Oh, my God, you sent that script to David. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that. And then they said, why can't you do that? What's And then we spoke for like 40 minutes about the subtleties of Cronenberg. And they said, you know what, ladies, you handle the creative, we'll handle the money because it sounds like you got that covered. <laughs> now, in tackling something like this, you have a nice balance of creating something that's completely new, but also paying like tribute to the source. So when you were working on this, like what kind of a, what was going through your mind in terms of how to create that balance? Well, for Jennifer and me, we've been in the directing business for over a decade. And at that point, we had so many uh, hard knocks that were like, I don't know if this job is for me. And then this Cronenberg job came up and I was like, well, I couldn't possibly imagine this movie in anyone else's hands. So it was interesting. It was like going back to film school. It was everything that first got us interested in in, in making movies. And we got cast and crew who had worked on uh, David's original movie. So when we were had a, a challenge, we could be like, well, David never had to deal with this. And of course, the sound guy hears everything. We have Brian Day who <laughs> David. He comes over and he's like, oh, David, you had the exact same problem. I'm like, oh, my God, what did he do? And then he tells you and you're like, OK, well, I deserve the exact exact same problems Mr. Cronenberg had. Let's just figure it out. Yeah, we went the total opposite way of when you do a remake and you just totally do your own thing and you make it a title alone remake. I was terrified that somebody would remake a Cronenberg film. And then for people, for heaven forbid, that weren't familiar with him would watch and be like, ah, this isn't very good. This Cronenberg guy must not be very good. I just wanted it to make the most loving Uh, homage to him possible. I don't think there's ever been a more self-aware remake. We haven't actually adjusted our uh, directing style, Beth, because as you might know, we're very loud. Yeah, we are very (laughs) loud, and we changed to uh, a library set because he's very... He's very uh, methodical and he's very soft-spoken and he doesn't have screaming hysteria like we normally do just because we're very loud Hungarian. So it was, Loving screaming hysteria. Like, it was interesting to be have that, that quiet there, but also it's nice and quiet. So then when you go and may have those louder moments, everybody gets excited because they're like, oh, here we go. We're about to get loud. What did you feel was the most challenging thing about taking on a project like that? Uh, accepting the schadenfreude of it all. We made schadenfreude a part of our film because I knew that, uh, first of all, we're female, so we're going to take a little bit of shit for remaking a Cronenberg film. And also, a lot of people consider all of his films sacred, even Rabid, even though Mr. Cronenberg, by his own admission, says he was just kind of figuring out filmmaking still with his second film. There are people who say you can't remake something. Even though he reimagined The Fly, you still can't. So I would say the thing that I, I would say was the hardest thing was uh, 
putting myself on the firing line because I wanted people to either love the film or hate the film and us because it would lead them back to loving David regardless. If you love the film, you'd love David. If you hated the film, you'd be like, oh, those nasty twins. David is so much better. And we tricked you into loving David again. And literally all of the press, <laughs> even the bad press, they all said nice things about David, except there's a couple of Canadian people who badmouthed David. And I was like, you know what? You should shut up the most out of anybody. <laughs> He's a brilliant person. You can say I suck. I accept that, but that's it. I thought Canadians were always polite. <laughs> Except to their own artists, apparently. Mr. Cronenberg has a lot to say about that as well. There are a few people who said it surpasses the original, and I'm like, you can't really surpass an original because without the original, there is no remake. I really feel our film is more of a, a thought accompaniment piece, both to the original Rabbit and to American Mary. Yeah, they they could play together as a cool double feature, like because they almost are exactly the same film with like 41 years between them, and one is just the male perspective, and one is the female perspective. Yeah, they're pretty much the exact same film. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of. It, it, Feels more like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man to me, but you know, actually, the last act uh, there was there's a moment in the Red Room, Beth, that is definitely all Sasuke. The yeah. rest was for Mr. Cronenberg, <laughs> but uh, throughout the film, anytime you see red, it's an indication that there's danger and there's something very bad that's about to happen. And the more red there is, the worse the situation is. Tell me more about these meat cravings. It's, it's not just the meat; it's it's the blood. There's something about it. It's not uncommon for patients to report changes in taste post-surgery. It's a side effect of the anesthesia. Things don't taste the same. We crave things we've never eaten before. How's your appetite? I'm hungry all the time. I can't keep anything down. I, I, I have these severe stomach pains. When the pain is too much, that's when the hallucinations start. and. I see myself. Please. Miss Miller. I'm drinking blood. You're dreaming. Why am I dreaming about drinking blood? Well, people who dream about drinking blood often have unfulfilled yearnings. It's tied to the guilt of desire. I don't feel guilty. Are you in control of the dreams? Or do the dreams control you? Sometimes I am in control of them. Sometimes it just seems like I'm watching myself. Like I'm me, but I'm, I'm somebody else. It, these nightmares. Hallucinations. It's making me feel like I'm becoming a monster. That was a clip from Jen and Sylvia Soska's Rabbit, the remake of David Cronenberg's 1977 cult film. I'll be back after this second and final break with the rest of my interview with the Twisted Twins. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Now, you guys, as we have seen in your films, are not afraid to depict violence or horror, but... That seemed to have gotten you into a little bit of trouble in social media, of all places. 
You know what? I blame Todd Masters and Masters Effects, particularly the Toronto team. They've done their disgusting work on Handmaid's Tale. So when you watch that show and you're like, oh my God, that's Masters Effects. They do the best bodies in the business. The weirdest thing is, there is much more graphic, scary monster imagery in Rabbit than the face accident. Like, there was a there was a banner when we had our world premiere, and the trailer uh, dropped, and uh, we got this warning from Twitter saying, "Hey, this is you're you're promoting violence." And I thought, "Oh, lol, this is such a funny joke." Like, they're not gonna take the director of a film off of Twitter the day they're releasing their movie. And apparently, yeah, yeah, they they totally can. And it made me aware of this huge problem that seems to be going on on all these different social media sites that the, the smaller independents seem to be getting caught up in this kind of thing, whereas uh, even the, the, the bigger movies can keep going for, forward. And it's funny because we were still f- an independent film, but we were funded by the government of Canada through Telefilm. So I was hitting up all of my contacts being, and they were, we were even on the news and they are like um I'm trying to tag you on your Twitter so we can promote this movie and I was like oh my god this is a freaking nightmare and then all the distributors were so happy they're like how did you girls get banned this is fantastic because of the movie and I was like no all those Twitter people I've worked for like 10 years to have them following me this is oh well that's 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 social media this marketing and filmmaking in the modern times yeah it's really an embarrassing double standard because there's studio films like literally the next day after we were taken down for obscene and graphic content twitter was advertising their number one shredding story was the it to super gruesome trailer and i thought wait a minute what's the difference between my little facial deformity and a huge gory trailer oh that's right i don't have the studio money backing me to be on twitter and to have a ma- marketing campaign i thought it was very nasty because you know all my followers and all of our retweets we don't pay for them they're actual legitimate people yeah when we i think we just got a little bit too much attention our black widow story actually dropped that week too yeah but a lot of people didn't know about us before rabbit and and, and even after rabbit they probably won't it'll be years and somebody will be like wow they've made 16 really disturbing movies who are these girls and they'll call us overnight sensations (laughs) (laughs) now this is also february which is women in horror month yes and and you guys do things. For, I mean, you guys do special things for women in horror, correct? Yeah. Are you still doing the blood drive and stuff? Yes, absolutely we are. Every year, uh, for those that don't know, uh, is Women in Horror Month in February. I know it's also Black History Month, but I have to be real. There's only 12 months. Every month is a lot of different things. And uh, because it was kind of romantic with Valentine's Day, that's when Hannah Neurotica chose February. And I never really wanted women in horror to feel like a charity or a hand out or like we're asking for a favor we just wanted a little acknowledgement and we just wanted equal treatment and equal kind of celebration so I thought it would be really generous for us to give back and I never really thought why no other horror personalities thought of doing this before because you can't really think of horror without thinking blood and donating blood used to be our civic duty I mean our grandparents all used to on the regular donate blood and uh, it's now become one of those things where we just assume someone else is going to need it but or do it for us But donating blood is just about the most selfless thing you can do. Most people don't do it because they're afraid of uh, getting a little prick. But I really feel that the horror fans are some of the most compassionate and bravest people in the world. So every month we find filmmakers from across the world of every level. This year we had even Troma participate. And they make (laughs) short films and PSAs uh, encouraging people to donate blood. And as much as Blood Services and uh, Red Cross have said off the record they love what we're doing, 
because they're very corporate, uh, they can't officially uh, approve us, although very quietly they're cheering for us. <laughs> Yeah, and luckily, uh, because we got to travel so much with uh, Rabbit internationally, we were able to find a bunch of uh, people, uh, different artists internationally. We went to uh, Birmingham University. We went to a bunch of students there. Uh, Morang uh, Wang, who uh, did a short, uh, just had her short featured on Dread Central today. Troma kicked it off, and then there's a few other international artists that are going to have their work showcased. And we do that because a lot of the time with a filmmaker, it's hard to figure out how to get started. So if you do it at Blood drive where you have like an open creativity um it's it, it takes that fear away from you and then you never know what that person's going to end up doing next yeah and women in horror month is a great place to get your initial exposure i don't know if a lot of people realize that uh when we made our first film dead poker in a trunk it was very difficult for it to be seen and i would send it anywhere i would send it to people having a frat party a bar hopefully film festivals, but it was hard to find them. I sent them to, to a lot of film festivals and they said by title alone, I won't even watch your movie. And it was like, can you send the money back? But no, that's just not how they roll. But in February, 11 years ago, Women in Horror Month, the very first Women in Horror Month, there are two film festivals, one in the UK and one in Texas that played Dead Hooker and Trunk for the very first time. And that really kicked it off. And that exposure and that kind of celebration meant so much for me because of course I mean we made dead hooker and truck for $2,500 we didn't have a lot of a-listers in there as you can imagine a little word of mouth goes a long way yeah it's always important to be able to send the elevator back down and who knows one day those ladies are going to be our bosses potentially here's hoping yeah <laughs> how do you feel about how women in horror have come along I mean it's been a decade since your film um, do you feel that you are able to make the films you want or is it an environment that's more inviting to you or has it changed at all? Yes and no. And, you know, before uh, this most recent film, I thought all the experiences I had that were negative challenges before the pre-Me Too movement and pre-before uh, people were more accepting of female talent, especially being an identical twins. I mean, we got we went through some horrible experiences, but because we got to work with Telefilm, I got to actually sit down and talk to them about the experiences we went through. And they said, oh, my gosh, ladies, we can't protect you from what just happened. But what would you like to have seen in the future that can protect people from now on? And we brought up uh, the idea of having intimacy coordinators like stunt coordinators. So instead of having kind of like this free for all, if there's any kind of intimacy, any kind of sexuality, any kind of any kind of uh, content like that, you have somebody on set so th that nobody feels that they're uncomfortable. They're not uh, being uh, put out of place. It's just like if you have a stunt scene, you know where the punches are going to land. If you have an intimate scene, you know where everyone's hands are going to go. And then also before you even start the production, there's uh – what were they called, Jay? Oh, those are sensitivity training things. And you do them – you know – I think it should be a group team building exercise instead of just for, you know, hey, Bob's kind of racist and old Hollywood, as we like to say, maybe he just goes by himself. I think our language is ever evolving. In the 90s, uh, forgive the term chick with a dick was something that we could pass along and have a laugh at. And now there are people that are trans and I mean, there are people trans back then, but the amount of kids that are like killing themselves because, you know, they're a laughing stock and they can't help who they are. Yeah, the insensitivity in the media is disgusting right now. And that kind of language has been on set and normalized for so long. So instead of say, being like, 
well, we can't say a joke anymore. Before we even ta- start a production, everybody knows what the rules are going in. So when there is a challenge that arises, you can be like, well, we've already put out the boundaries of what is acceptable and what isn't. Yeah, people say that for whatever reason, set can't be fun anymore. But what I like to say is now it has to be fun for everybody. Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel with the Me Too era, there's more of a conversation happening than any action happening. And with the conversation, we're getting more upset at people misspeaking than the actions that happen have happened and I'm absolutely agree that people need to speak respectfully to each other but we need to uh, start with the the people who are physically like abusing and stopping people's careers and doing that kind of thing and as much as I've struggled to uh, find the right collaborators that don't uh, stifle our vision because as, as you can imagine we are pretty out there when we're not on a leash we actually are now working with uh, David Cronenberg's producers the amazing Martin Katz of Prospero Pictures and Karen Wookie. Martin worked with uh, David on his five most recent films and I think a lot of people can tell that uh, even Mr. Cronenberg has a more relaxed uh, supported style in his most recent films so uh, we are finally making Bob which is our movie that was supposed to come after American Mary. It's yeah. an original monster movie, which is about trauma and about releasing that trauma and how when something traumatic happens to you and you don't deal with it, it kind of creates this monster. And we all have these monsters, these things that we carry around with us. And the film is really about dealing with that pain and trauma and releasing it. And it's a very, very dark comedy. Uh, and it's very funny because it's it's also very dark. It's a romantic comedy, too. I mean, everybody has their own monsters, right? Everybody has their own thing that's affected them. All right. Well, this makes me very happy because as much as I've enjoyed your films and your success, I really was looking forward to something that was kind of a personal project like American Mary was. So I'm very happy to hear this. Oh, it, oh hey, it only took like seven years. There's like 10 years between each original Saska movie. But um, it was so, so wonderful. Um, Martin and Karen, we connected with them when we were just finishing up Rabbit. And they were uh, two of the first people to see the very uh, final edit once we locked the movie. And as soon as it was done, I, I remember uh, Martin saying, I wish I made that movie. And he's saying that, oh, we're going to make movies together from now on. And I was like, no way, we're going to start making movies together. And we are. And the, the, the kind of support, and instead of hearing that, uh, oh, I don't know if I want to put that tentacle there or that monster should do that. Now they're like, this is fantastic. So let's make sure the tentacle is 100% supported and we have as many monster makers as we need. And it's just it's just fun. It's what, what you always dream of. I think that every film we've been a little bit restrained because uh, especially with like our WWE films, I love all of my films, but my films outside of American Mary and Dead Hooker in a Trunk, I am working for a client. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget that when they're like, oh, bad filmmaker. And I'm like, look, I really pushed the boundaries for family-based WWE. Please forgive me that it wasn't <laughs> everything that you hoped. But I think our fans are going to be really excited about Bob because we, uh, we really pushed the envelope and this is going to be the most us, the most purest Saska film ever. And if you don't like it, you just flat out don't like us, so don't worry about it. Yeah, and the talent <laughs> we have on this one is kind of crazy crazy about it because, like, this, this... Well, Beth, you know, this one's been our baby, so we've been, co- we've been collecting people for a very long time to get going. <laughs> Every favor will be called in on Every this one. Every favor will be called in. <laughs> and how does it feel to get back to something that's a little more personal? Because, I mean, I understand why you take other projects, too. You guys have to make a living and a career out of what you're doing. And sometimes doing your own personal work doesn't 
pay the bills quite as well. But um, how does it feel to get back to something that you do have a, a more personal kind of uh, uh, something more personal vested in? Well, you know, I never, Beth, I didn't know if it would ever happen. I, I thought American Mary was so scary. I was like, oh, geez, we shouldn't have done that one so right off the bat because uh, everyone knew too much that, oh, never let those girls have full creative say on anything ever again. But I think it was interesting because it made us these niche filmmakers that were only able to do these certain kind of things. And uh, uh, having made so many movies, I still don't think anybody has seen what Jennifer and I are 100 percent capable of. And that's something we're definitely going to show off in Bob. And I, I, there's so many movies I know that have a, a huge meaning. I know American Mary meant a lot to people, but there's some people in my life I've been wanting to make Bob for for so long. And I know once they see that movie and have whatever experience they're going to have with it, I mean, that's the whole point of it. There's this really great scene in uh, Rabbit. This shouldn't spoil anything for anybody that hasn't seen it between uh, Chelsea and Rose. And it's before the uh, the fashion show at the end. And uh, Chelsea tells Rose that she's going to be great and that it's going to be her own line next. And the film, like American Mary, is very much an analogy for our own ventures in the film industry. And Rose is us and Chelsea is the, the best friend. Rose is really Sylph and I'm really Chelsea. The Jen's the optimistic one. She's Beatrice and I'm Mary. It's I always know. been that way. You're the winter <laughs> and I'm the summer. And, you know, that, that was such an important scene to us that we put in very self-aware because as much as I am like, beyond honored. There's no words. I mean, you need to send a poet to explain how touched I am to be given the opportunity to remake a Cronenberg film. But it's been so long. After American Mary, I was told, just do a studio film. Then you'll be able to do another original. They're like, I just do another studio film. Okay, just do another thing. And I was like, I feel like I'm being punished. Yeah. And it's been, uh, not to be dark, but it's been a really, really hard road. The, the mm -hmm. more successful you get, the less people you get to have around you for whatever reason. A lot of people change and a lot of people reveal themselves. And it's really painful. It's really damaging. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to make Bob for everyone else to kind of let go of their trauma and release their pain. Now I really feel that I'm making Bob for me as well. And it feels like it's happening at exactly the right time. And it's really a special film. It's not just a horror film. It's, a, it's an incredibly therapeutic horror film. I'm so grateful that we're working with Martin and Karen to be able to make it this year. And what do you think defines your particular style? What is your particular fascination with working in the horror genre? It's interesting. I sometimes think I'm, I'm so unable to articulate what I want to say that a movie is the only way that I can explain how I'm feeling at any given time, which is a very weird way to say anything. Um, I think a lot of it is very loud and, and brash and in your face. And, it, and so many times my mom, even after she saw Dead Hooker for the first time, she's like, please don't show this to anybody else. And I was like, mom, the, the screening's tomorrow. What do you mean? And she said, it's okay. I, but um, your dad and I know what you girls are like. It's just if everybody knows what you're like, some people aren't going to get that and they're going to they're gonna make fun of you maybe. And I said, that's, that's okay. I, I like that Jen and I are so loud. So even if there's somebody out there that's like, oh, my God, I hate hate the Saska sisters maybe if that inspires you to make your own anti-Saska sisters movies that's cool like at least you don't have to worry because we're pretty loud and kind of carving this big path and you can be as quiet or as loud as you want to it's 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 all good Jen do you want to add anything about how you define your style 
You know, I guess our style would be about survivalism and hope when you really think of it. I I like to point out that every one of our films is about somebody that could be you, could be me. We try to make them very relatable, very flawed. And then something happens to them that would usually break a regular person. And instead of being broken and destroyed, they rise and they become something more powerful than what it is that happened to them. And uh, I think that good horror is actually therapy. It's very therapeutic. And I love to trick people into learning both moralistic and uh, self-love lessons through our films. And uh, I, I do think that makes us very real. The first thing I think about when we make a, a film is what is the message? Mm. Why does this film exist? Mm. I don't think, oh, cool, you've got however much money and this actor isn't doing anything for two weeks. It's just not enough for me to make a film. It has to have something to say other than buy this toy. <laughs> <laughs> Toys is important, Jen. Hey, you're going to get your Bob plushes that you squeeze and he'll have his catch lines in. Don't worry. I definitely got that. <laughs> but, you know, I think in a, a place where there are so many, a, a world where so many people are just saying whatever messages they're being told to say, I just like to encourage, we, our work just encourages critical thought, authenticity, and hey, you always know our reviews are real because people trash our movies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing I had wanted to ask about Rabbit uh, was the clothes, the designs. Oh, they yes. were so amazing. Where did you get the the person to design those, and and how did that all kind of come into play for the film? Oh my gosh! So we got Morgan Tree Newson, who had just come out of retirement for us, and she had worked on In the Mouth of Madness, and it was amazing. She was working on this collection, and she's like, and she didn't even know that this movie was happening. And she's like, I just feel that this is going and working towards something. And when we found her, I was like, this is supernatural because we need a whole fashion line, but. We wanted it to be, we we had a, a champagne uh, taste, but a beer budget. And I was like, I really want to have authentic couture in here. So we were teamed with uh, Roger Gingrich of Fashion Week, who ended up being our curator for the top designers in Canada. So we had the hottest fashions on everybody. Every single actor and character had their own designer and designs put on them. We had House of Hela giving shoes to everyone. It was, it was really exciting because I... I so commonly people are like well that's from Canada that must look ugly that sucks and I was like no Canadians are cool and we make nice clothes and everyone can look pretty yeah we took absolute <laughs> pride in not only uh displaying the talent of Canada like everything in the film is so Canadian even the sea lamprey which are the little snake things in Dr. Burroughs tank are are Canadian they're Canadian little invaders our uh dead ringers robes are imported Egyptian silk yeah. because uh obviously dead ringers was our favorite and we had to really show off with that we actually asked David if he still had them but he gave them away I was like ah I wish I was at your house that day oh my god and we had Christine who was one of the seamstresses from American Psycho she did not know what psychos we were for that movie she put up with us she was a goddess oh she was magnificent and the amazing Joseph Tassoni uh pieced together our nightmare dress which is what Chelsea wears and Rose wears and uh it has that beautiful feather aura oh I love that piece. It was also on, on display at a Toronto Fashion Week. Yeah, so if there's anything you see in Rabbit and you're like, ooh, I want to cosplay as that, check out the credit scroll because all of those designers have all of those outfits. Or break into my house because I took a lot of it. Yeah, we took, I all took a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just when you saw the designs that she was drawing, it really 
kicked it up a notch because it it had a a quality to it that was just amazing. Oh, oh thank, thank you so kindly. So when do you actually start working on Bob? Have you already started shooting? We have not started shooting right now. We're just uh, in early prep. So it's uh, it's getting our monsters all in a line, which is really fun. Yeah, and uh, we're getting our right distributors and our international partners. And uh, we have a list of our cast that we want. We have our, our first, our second, and our third choices. And we're just seeing what the international you know, responses, but uh, it will definitely be our most uh, impressive cast. There will definitely be horror icons that are reappearing. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of favors that we're be- are being called in. We're having our early meetings with our, our creature designers and our visual effects because Bob is a, is a beast all on his own. Yeah, it's a little bit like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which we're excited about because we're doing some technology that hasn't been done in films before. So luckily we have very smart artists who are like, oh, wow, that never happened. Well, let's make it up. Also, I, I thinking in the future, I definitely want to do horror conventions with whoever a creature performer is for Bob. Oh, my gosh, he would be so cute. Hugs from Bob. That would be great, right? I feel sorry for the guy on stilts already. No, no. <laughs> he might be that one tall guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys have had a, a dedication to wanting to do practical effects. And is that something you're going to carry over into Bob? Absolutely. I always feel that visual effects should be like good plastic surgery. If it's there, you shouldn't know it's there. (laughs) By the time you... I just don't think visual effects are good enough for you to be like, oh, it's a magical mystery thing. Every time I see visual effects, I'm like, ah, there you are, my enemy. There you are. I see you. Even like old practical effects, if you light it right, if you, you know, put the right kind of goo on it, it looks masterful. I always go back to Rob Bottin and the thing. Like that's just a masterpiece. Yep. Well, I think it engages you more when you're watching it so that CGI has a distancing effect, but I think practical effects draw you in more. Absolutely. I love something that you can feel and touch. And if even if it's weird looking, I like it weird looking. Yeah. And it's so much fun when the monster or the beast or whatever is on set, the whole cast and crew, it's like the whole place is electrified because you're like, oh, here's that weird stuff that shouldn't exist. And now it does. Also, Bob's going to do some very violent things, so there will have to be some visual effects, unless we kill a guy. (laughs) There's only one guy, unless we can actually rip him in half. We might. I mean, who knows? We have some really dedicated fans. (laughs) (laughs) And can you trace back the first monster movie you saw that had an impact on you, like when you were younger? Oh, Gremlins. It had to be Gremlins. I watched Gremlins and Gremlins 2 so many times, especially Gremlins 2, because all of a sudden it was like, wow, there's every kind of Gremlin. They got bat Gremlins. They got electric Gremlins. They got vegetable Gremlins. It, it must be almost tied with Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, because yeah. I remember I watched that plant constantly. And even though it, I, I think it was years after I watched the movie that I was like, oh, the plant was the bad guy. Okay. Okay, no, I understand. I think I got it, Mom. It's a- Wait, what? The plant was the bad guy? Apparently. No, it was actually greed. Greed? Greed was the bad guy. Wow. The plant was just a manifestation of the greed. The plant was so good. I didn't realize until years later, because it's so seamless, that they sped up the puppetry. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Movie magic, right? And can you guys describe why it is that you feel a fascination for horror? It's interesting, Beth, because I... 
I remember so much about horror as girl time with my mom. My mom always had horror movies. The time I couldn't hang out with my mom was she was watching a horror movie. I was like, what does it think? Like eating up mom time. And then I was like, wait, I'm not allowed to do this. Well, I definitely have to do it. And then ever since then, I guess it was felt like a rite of passage. Uh, it always feels like home. I remember there's so many times that Jennifer, I mean, we, we started as actresses at seven and it was only when we were doing horror movies that we were like, wow, this, this is special. This feels cool. It felt like coming home. Also being raised Catholic, you have a very natural uh, relationship with good and evil. <laughs> you do because you you're do. a child and you're being told you're going to burn forever. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait, what? What did I do? I'm, I'm literally still making peace with being a child and what it is to exist. But now I know that I can die and burn forever because I, I, I messed up a rule that I didn't even know I had. Yeah. So that, you know, the devil and evil is like, naughty, naughty. Don't look into that. Don't read any Alistair Crowley. So you do. You have no choice. You have to be drawn to it. I also think that um, for whatever reason, being like bullied and having a hard time growing up, Horror was just such a, a safe therapeutic space because, you know, in horror, you were in a, a difficult situation, but you were removed from that difficult situation, but you could still have the life experience without going through any of the trauma. I believe uh, someone once said, someone much more clever than I, maybe it was Mr. Cronenberg, that a good movie is the equivalent of one year of life experience. So I aim to make movies that give people, you know, that one year of life experience. Well, I had a chance to interview Cronenberg and he gave me one of my favorite quotes of all time, which was, he said, I'm not interested in comfortable cinema. Oh, he's such a isn't he? I love him. I'm, let's be honest, that's so sexy. Yeah. Like, wow. Mr. Cronenberg, you, you just floor us. Yeah, he's just... Such a gift. I hear he's running a pet store now. Did you did you hear about Possessor killing at Sundance? Brandon, I, I saw a little piece of that at Fright Fest. Brandon is just like such an amazing filmmaker too. Is he the one who did Antiviral? Yes, yes he, he is. Did. Oh, treat yourself to seeing Possessor. We saw the proof of concept at Fright Fest and I immediately had to be like, it's so good, Brandon. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the three people that we were with, none of us got it, and Jen explained the ending to us, and then we emailed Brandon, and he's like, and this is the other potential ending. We're like, ooh. I'm just so tired <laughs> of formulaic, having to follow logic art. Like, yeah. if I get a self a, a horror movie, and it's one of those, what I call a cell phone script, yeah. like, the whole movie is about, why don't they call the police? I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. They don't call the police because it's a demon or an alien or whatever. Come on, Jen, you have a Rottweiler puppy. Dog food isn't cheap. I know. <laughs> I know. But Possessor is amazing because it's just, you know, it's so interpretive. Yeah. And it's not something that you're just handed. And I feel that a lot of the times, like, you'll watch a horror movie and then, like, the last five, ten minutes is just summing it up. Hey, stupid, did you understand the movie? And I'm like, aw, tell me what happened at the end of the movie. It takes my thinking away isn't that the gift thought yeah the, i remember watching the proof of concept and it was so surreal it almost makes you question what reality itself is it's it's great all right you've whetted my appetite Shame. <laughs> if you see it before us let us know but that that one 20 minute scene we saw we were like oh my god yeah i think it's on the film festival circuit right now yeah all right i'll have to keep my eyes out for it are there any other films right now that kind of excite you that are are films that you're seeing as opposed to films you're making 
the film that I'm most excited about right now is Jill Six's The Stylist. I don't know if you ever saw the proof of concept, like the short version she did years ago, but she went around, she shopped it to studios for whatever reason, it, she just had to wait for it. And then she ended up doing a Kickstarter for it herself. And now she's actually shooting the movie. And it's, it looks so good. She's such a great director. And it's just so exciting to see it actually happening for her. And I think a lot of people don't see that because you see all these other filmmakers and they make something and then someone comes and they help them. But that's not always how it happens. Sometimes you just have to make your dreams happen for themselves. And that's what Jill's doing. Also on the film festival circuit, we both met the amazing Jennifer Reeder and saw her film Knives and Skin. Oh my God, yeah. And I can't even, like, you can't even shove that film into a genre. I mean, horror is where it was blanketed. But it's like if David Lynch made a high, a high school musical. <laughs> it's just unbelievably, like, tony and paced and stylistic and uh, I just popped in because uh, I was like, oh, let's watch a film. And it was like bawling by the end of it. It just gutted me. It was just so beautifully made. And another filmmaker that we uh, met while we were on a film festival tour is Oriella Mengen, who did this amazing film for Nassus. Uh, it's, a, it's a feature film that she's touring with as well. And it, it's absolutely brilliant. It's also an experimental art film that, uh, it, well, Jennifer Readers is a film that follows like structure, but this one is such a beautiful interpretive artistic speak uh, piece with barely any talking in it as well. I love it when there is a film with like limited talking, so it's just relying on the visuals, and that's touring as well. Now. Yeah, and she's the first uh, uh, person to ever make a feature film, off, and she comes from this tiny little island off of Madagascar with this giant uh, volcano on it, and it's just like surreal what she was able to do yeah the film is called Fornasis. it's f-o-r-n-a-c-i-s and she's touring it with it right now she's amazing too she's also on social media both of them are yeah how has the reaction to rabid been and, and how have you felt about its distribution and is it getting out there to people it's interesting because as a filmmaker, you want to be involved in the entire process, but that's just not a reality of the situation. A lot of the time, sometimes you're looking at Twitter and you're like, oh my gosh, is that what's happening with that? <laughs> uh, I, I'm so sad that the last place that got it was Canada. Everybody kept giving me shit about that, but it kind of made sense that the UK got it the first time because they were always the first to promote us with uh, uh, Dead Hooker in a Trunk. They were the first to promote us with uh, American Mary. They gave us the world premiere there. They were the first to put us on TV. And even David Cronenberg said it, it, it was the UK that kind of understood his work a lot before his own country. And I feel like we have the same kind of uh, thing that we're going through right now. Yeah, I don't know if people realize how challenging it is to get a film out there and especially get it in theater space because the theaters have these uh, agreements already with these massive studios that they already have that space. So unless like Disney picks up Rabbit uh, by accident. Because they might. They might. <laughs> I know you're watching us, Disney. I know you want to call us in, but you don't know if we'll behave. I promise we will. We, we will. We did for WWE. We did it for Game Show Network. Come on. Okay, anyway, shameless plug. Uh, you know, we'll get one night at a theater and everyone's been asking, oh, when's Rabbit playing in American theaters? I'll see it. I'm like, it was December 13th and yeah. only December 13th. And it was like 12 theaters. And as much as I'd love, you know, to have like 2000 screens, it's really competitive. And, you know, people don't take risks on art. They just kind of 
do these huge marketing things and push their films. The funny thing, though, is uh, despite that, the fans are seeing Rabid and the reaction is incredibly gracious, incredibly thoughtful. Once in a while, you get something pretty ignorant and kind of schadenfreude about it. And you're just like, wow, that person is mentally unwell. I'm sorry that they had to express themselves in this way to me. But mostly, you know, you get a lot of people that really get it. It's a very it's a very female story. It's kind of about the horror of what it is like to be not just a woman, but a person in this world where we're so casually cruel to each other uh, and what it's like to try and sacrifice things to, to survive that. Yeah, I was blown away by the reception. Uh, it was our very first time in Citrus when the film played there, and it was part of the midnight screening, and I was like, oh, geez, do people stay up till midnight? No one told me my movie played at 3.30 in the morning, and I was like, oh, my God, is anyone... The whole place was packed, and mm-hmm. they were cheering, and after every scene, they would clap. They, like, they wanted to be quiet while the scene was going on. It was such a surreal experience, and then afterwards, we met everybody, and in broken English from all around the world, they would be telling us what they thought about us or how they've been fans since this or that and oh it was overwhelming there's a fan who said I'm your oldest Mexican fan I flew in just to see you I couldn't even believe it I couldn't even believe it I had to hug him like 10 (laughs) times I was like I'm so sorry you came to see me I hope I'm not a disappointment yeah Jennifer and I started in theater so we love to have the audience right there so uh, with film you have to really travel to get that audience and a lot of people know that we're known for hugging but I don't think people realize that it takes two people to hug and every time I mean we're just greedy for hugs we want all the hugs in the world no one's caught on yet Beth they're just like oh the twins are so nice and I'm like yeah I just want more hugs yeah the fans have been amazing like the turnouts to all of the festivals have been incredible and so so gracious and there's so many fans that uh go uh what I like to call breaking bad crazy over rabid they're like I've shown my friends every one of them there are people who are like I've watched it 10 times already like wow thank you I'm I'm so touched and also listen to it with the commentary because we say some some good stuff there yeah so when can we look forward to your next project actually coming out I'm hoping to have it shot this year and ready for the film festivals early next year. There are a couple projects that might pop out sooner. I will uh, cheekily say that uh, we returned to acting. Yeah, we returned to acting, and in a, in a, we worked with. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say who it is, but it's a, an extremely famous person whose movie actually toured with ours, and we were able to reconnect on the film festival circuit. And they were making a new film, and they said, "Hey, do you want to be in?" And I was like, "Yeah, I love acting. Acting is called vacation for a director." Yeah, but it, it was. It was it was awesome. Beth, I'd love to talk to you about it more when we're allowed to, but uh, it was very cool to see somebody who's an icon and to have an artist that just knows what they want but aren't isn't afraid to do it. Like I know so many uh, directors that are like, oh, I asked for this blue to be mauve, but it's not that color. I guess I'll just change my vision and be fine with it. This person wouldn't even go on to set unless everything was exactly perfect. And I was like, that's so cool to have. It was it was an interesting way to work. It was, it was really a real fun. visionary. Yeah, it was a I real loved visionary, it. and there is such a respect because yes. it wasn't like the studio or the executives being like, 
you can't do this. It was like, what do you want, sir? Let's make that happen for you. I will say it'll be out, uh, I want to say before May. I don't know. I'm not allowed to say when it's coming out, but I think it's going to be out a lot sooner than our next movie. Yeah, it'll be at a film festival, and it's going to be a very, very, very loud project. Yeah, it's a bit, <laughs> I was honored to be a part of it. It's and- also very violent and very sexual, so people will be super happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, it's always a treat to speak to you both. Oh, we love you. Thank, thank you, you so much. You're so wonderful, Beth. Yeah. Thank you for putting up with us for all these years. Yes. And thank you for standing our controlled chaos. <laughs> well, I can't wait for Bob. I've, I've been waiting for that for a long time. Oh, as do. I'm so excited. It feels like it's not even real life that it's finally happening. All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. And best of luck with everything else. Oh, thank you so much. And we'll hit you up if we're in your neck of the woods. Yeah, please do. Love to everybody. Okay. Okay. Bye. I've been speaking with Jen and Sylvia Soska, the Twisted Twins, about their latest film, Rabid, which is currently available on Amazon Prime, Vudu, and other streaming services. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast comes out every other week. Please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.